This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. As a scientist seeking funding to do rare disease research, Olivier Menzel confronted the lack of interest from funding sources. He eventually created the Black Swan Foundation to support research on any type of rare disease. Since then, the foundation has held scientific conferences, raised awareness about rare disease, and been involved in a large number of projects and collaborations around the world. The foundation also created the REACT Community, a crowdfunding and knowledge-sharing digital platform that connects researchers, patients, and other rare disease stakeholders. We spoke to Menzel, chairman and founder of the Black Swan Foundation, about the challenges of rare disease research, how it's worked to address common obstacles, and how it is serving as an accelerator to bridge the gap between basic scientific and commercial research. Olivier, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk about the Black Swan Foundation, the challenges of rare disease research, and how your organization is working to address some of those. Most of our listeners may not be familiar with Black Swan. Perhaps we can begin with you and your decision to create the organization. You were seeking funding to do gene therapy into a set of rare metabolic conditions, what happened and how did that lead to your decision to create Black Swan? So I'm, I'm as you said, I'm a biologist by training and um, um, I used to do research in the academic settings. And uh, because I was very, I'm still interested in, in, in genetics and human genetics, um, very rapidly I was confronted to rare diseases because most of them are from genetic origin. And um, because I also had the chance to start my academic career just before the Human Genome Project, the only way to discover new genes and to understand how they work was thanks to the families that were carrier rare diseases. And at that time, I was young and enthusiastic, and I was already surprised that there were no money to push a little bit forward the research once we identified the genes to try to find a therapeutic solution for those families. And then years pass on, I become less young, but always still enthusiastic. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, um, the, the, the problem didn't change. So uh, a lot of money for fundamental research, but 
very difficult to find money, at least from governments, to support research in order to bring new therapeutic solutions to patients. And once that we had a very nice result on, on rare liver metabolic diseases, when I used to run this laboratory, um, when we asked for a second round of, of funding, in fact, it was refused because our project was considered too ambitious. And so to me, it was quite surprising because when you are too ambitious, it's, normally it's something positive, not negative. And so this was really the, the, the moment that I decided to, to create the Blackstone Foundation, uh, which the mainly aim is to support orphan disease research worldwide. The foundation isn't focused on any single rare disease. It's involved in a, a number of initiatives. How would you describe the vision and mission of Black Swan? So, as you as said before, the mission is really to support research on rare, on rare diseases. And this is not only by giving money to laboratories, to PIs, to researchers, but it's also uh, by supporting researchers and, and put them in contact. So our, our mission is also to create an international community, community of researchers because when we are considering the, 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 the numbers of patients living with rare diseases, uh, they are not so rare, those numbers, but researchers or scientists that invest their own career for rare disease research, those ones are really rare because it's not the best choice of career that you can do because, of course... Uh, According to the published or perish um, um, law in in the in the laboratory, uh, unfortunately, rare disease is not a subject that you publish a lot, and by consequence, you don't find a lot of money to pursue your research. Black Swan is working to address many of the obstacles rare disease researchers face. I'd like to have you walk through a few of those. What are the scientific obstacles to rare disease research? Uh, the scientific obstacle, of course, it's uh, beside the fact that uh, a constant lack of, of money to do this research, the scientific um, um, obstacle are, can be of missing some um, know-how because, in fact, there are uh, some very specific diseases that you need to be an, an expert as a researcher to, in order to address them. And for that reason, working hand in hand with patients, it's the best solution because in the end, the expert is the, the person that is living with the rare diseases. Then other obst obstacles can also be trying to find, you know, collaboration, other people that are working on the same diseases in order to share expertise, to share knowledge. And, and, and again, this is a matter that we address at the Black Swan Foundation by organizing the REACT Congress, which is an international congress on rare disease research, where the idea is to bring together all those researchers from around the world and put them in the same, uh, uh, in the same room and try, to, you know, to, 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 to push as much as we can any kind of collaboration in order to maximize the lack of money that is present in those laboratories and just share the experience and the know-how to, to, to bring uh, maybe a new solution for, for patients. You've talked about your own experience with the financial barriers to rare disease research, but how accessible are research funds for rare disease? <laughs> this is... Uh... 
it's not so easy at least I, i'm talking more about europe in in, in us i must say that um, um there is more opportunities in europe it's quite difficult even though um uh, the policy are changing uh, fortunately but it's not so easy we are still very concentrated on what we call common disease you know the big uh, big topic of uh, diseases that concern a lot of people for the same diseases which to me it's quite annoying and surprising because you, we know from years of researchers uh, research sorry and also from uh, uh, the field experience that by investigating rare diseases uh, most of the time the outcomes and the and the solution that come out from this research are not only uh, good for people that are living with these uh, rare diseases but they are very useful for the uh, general public for common disease and for the international scientific community Alas, there are commercial barriers. How significant are these to enable the development of potential therapies for rare diseases? But, again, it's the same problem. Um, you know, the industry wants um, to, to, to have a return of investment. So if they invest on, on a project, they want to be sure that they have enough patient to sell the treatment the drug or the molecule that they produce this is the first barrier also although again um, we see a new some new companies out there that uh, the business model is really based on rare diseases and it works of course it's uh, i will not enter in this debate about the prices uh, of the therapies but uh, it's 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 a model that can exist the problem is that there is a death valley between the academic research and the industry. Uh, academic research, it's really too early to be interested for the industry. For that reason, we again, we also invest and create an institute that uh, wants to fulfill this death valley, which means want to valorize those academic projects to enter in a drug discovery and development process in order to um, be enough interest for the industry and see if there are any opportunities to, to, to give them to the industry in order to develop a new, a new treatment and put it in, on the market for, for patients. Rare disease research still faces a, a number of challenges, but do you think the landscape for doing this research has changed, or do you still think the types of obstacles you were trying to address when you created Black Swan are still firmly in place? No, the, the landscape is changing. As I said, there are plenty of uh, international and, and national organiza or, um, or, yeah, organization and, and agency that address more and more um, rare disease research. I must say that there is also more implication from the patient side, which, in fact, again, the, in the end, they are the expert. They are also the ones that normally start a new research project because um, they, they, they are able to put in a network, you know, different researchers from around the world. But they also are they are also able to to fundraising the money that is necessary to start those projects. So the landscape is changing, unfortunately, not for all diseases, because, uh, you know, 
we are spanning between uh, rare diseases that it's one out of uh, 3,000 per, per person up to one out of one million. Of course, uh, um, less cases are out there, uh, more difficult it is to support research. But there is, I think, at least from my experience, uh, a, a more... Um, sensitivity for also from the public about those uh, those uh, diseases and so it's easier a little bit to to fundraise and to support research from that side well, what's the case you'd make for investing in research into rare disease and its potential beyond improving the understanding of a specific condition but again, as I said before, the investing in some particular diseases most of the time uh, give insight and outcomes that are very useful for other common diseases. I know about projects on narcolepsy, for instance, which is a, a sleep disorder, quite quite heavy sleep disorder, that uh, um, the outcome can be very useful for Alzheimer or Parkinson. So I think this is the angle that we need to approach to diseases. Uh, we always have to defend why we want to push further these diseases. But again, uh, I think 95% of the drugs that are out there can be used also for common diseases. So... Um, Again, supporting rare disease research is beneficial for everybody. I think if there are themes to what Black Swan has done in its efforts, it's been an emphasis on fostering both information sharing and collaboration. Within the world of rare disease, why is information sharing and collaboration so critical? It's fundamental uh, because... Um, for, for, for a few different reasons. The first one, as I said, um, researchers that are committed to rare disease research, uh, uh, there are not so many out there. It's, uh, it's not a, a, a choice of a career that it's very smart if you want to evolve in an academic field. But, you know, again, there is people that are very committed and um, the collaboration, it's also quite outstanding within those kind of researchers. In fact, it's the opposite system of of uh, the scientific world. Normally, um, collaboration, it's only seek if there is an interest per, or a win-win situation. Uh, between researchers. In the, in the case of rare diseases, um, most of the researchers are seeking for uh, collaboration because it's the only way to survive, uh, to, to bring uh, the, the, the project further in, in, a, in a way that can really be at a certain point uh, on the bedside of, of the patients. And, um, and the other uh, um, approach to... to, to yeah, to gather together all these researchers, it's also because they can really benefit of the patient experience directly. We are talking more and more in Europe, especially about PPI, which is patients and public involvement. And it was demonstrated that the implication of patients from the beginning of our research project will increase the pertinency and the, the, the validity of the, of the research. Have you found any cultural or institutional barriers to information sharing or collaboration? Uh, not really. No, 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 no. Uh, I, again, there, I don't see any barrier of, uh, of trying to collaborate on rare diseases. Everybody, all the stakeholders from patient perspective, physician, researcher, 
are really keen to 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 explore more to know more about the re, about the uh the different topics on on a particular disease because in fact in the end they always have uh, they all have an interest in in knowing more because they can help in a better way a patient they can uh, you know try a new strategy in the research process they can maybe benefit from uh, you know a physician that is on, on the other side of the world because you try an off label or a compound that can be used to increase the quality of life of patients so no no uh, it's a, a highly collaborative field and uh, i'm i'm very happy to about that well let's talk about some of the specific projects at at Black Swan. you have two specific initiatives i'd like you to talk about and how they've advanced your greater goals the first is the react congress what mm. is this but the react congress was an idea that i had back in 2011 because as i said i was a researcher and i used to work on the, on liver disease on liver metabolic diseases and uh, i participated once one full week in a, a huge congress on liver diseases in general and i had the chance to have an oral presentation which means that um, the, the project that I presented was uh, uh, recognized as a little bit innovative uh, and good from uh, from my colleagues. And when I had the chance to present it, even though uh, there were more than 6,000 participants, in the room there were less than 100 people. In fact, I came back from this full week of, of, of science immersion in the liver world without in fact creating any contact any knowledge in the in the liver uh, world because it was rare diseases uh, of of the liver were not a subject that were interested for this kind of congress and they said that it, it it was a pity because I will, as a laboratory we spend money to be there i i took time to go there and uh, and and from um, from the benefits of being there for my research project was zero so the idea of the react congress it's really to bring together researchers working on rare disease in general which they of course they have the same problem lack of patient lack of money but they also have an enormous know-how that can be beneficial for other rare diseases and um, I remember having breakfast that one researcher was complaining because it's, he spent three years in trying to find some cells to, to test a new compound. And the guy that could give them, could give him the cells, he was always saying no. And in fact, on the next table, there were a patient that said, oh, look, I know another researcher that probably has cells that can be interesting for you. And I know that they started a huge collaboration on that project. So I think that putting together people that are not used to meet because they are going in other scientific congress uh, from from a, a, an intellectual perspective in order to, again, uh, give more chance to research projects, it's, it's a huge idea. And in, in the end, we had a sixth edition with... Uh, uh, an average of 300 participants from all around the world. And I know that we have an average of between 15 and 20 new collaborative projects that starts just because people meet at the Congress. You've also launched the REACT Discovery Institute. What is the Discovery Institute and how does it work? 
The React Discover Institute is a, is a um, virtual uh, institute, which means that we don't have uh, wet labs, but we're just managing and funding projects. The idea is to find uh, academic projects or from small um, startups that uh, arrive at a certain point that, that they are missing some industrial skills in order to enter in a drug development or drug discovery phase. And the idea is that we create uh, um, an international effort in having uh, three different boards that are able to bring um, counseling, advices, and also networking in order to valorize this project. And of course, we put money also on those projects. We do fundraising specifically for those, for those projects that have been internalized in the Institute. And the idea is to valorize those projects until a, a level that can be, become interesting for the for industry uh, side in order to find an industry partner that will be able to um, put the, the treatment or the solution or the compound on the market in order that can be used by the patients. You talk about the Institute being an accelerator to fill the gap between public funded basic science research and commercially supported applied research and development, bridging that valley of death you referred to earlier. How does the Institute determine what it works on? So normally we, we are open again. We are not um, focused on a particular disease. Um, in fact, it should be, a, 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 of course, a feasible project. But as, as I said, we have three advisor boards. One is composed by science, international scientists that can review the scientific part. But we also have two other boards that are very important. One is composed by patients. Because again, patient view, patient perspective is very important for those kind of projects. And the third one is an industry advisory board uh, that help us in, in shaping the project in order to you know, maximize the chance to arrive at a level of the project that can be interested for the, for the private sector. How do you leverage relationships with partners to accelerate research through the Institute? So uh, by, again, by using the, the huge expertise within the, our boards, but also because we are creating a, a network of um, external partners that can, you know, share their, um, their services in accelerate the project. So like uh, CROs or other academics that they have the expertise, which is necessary to advance one step the project that we are interested in. So it's, it's a re really huge collaborative and international effort in order to, to, to push further uh, the project that we internalized. Is the goal to de-risk investment in potential therapies where commercial entities will step in or is there a different vision for bringing these therapies to market? Uh, so we are open to all kind of settings. Ideally, we, we would like to start with, um, uh, with funds that are coming from donation just to keep our independency and, and also the transparency of, of the projects. But we are, not, um, we, are, we, we are aware that at a certain point, the amount of money that is necessary can only come from, from the private sector. So for that reason, for each project, we are open also to open it uh, 
you know, say, if I can say like that, to uh, to investor that can be interested then in taking over the project and bring it uh, to to the market part. Of course, um, this kind of even though we are a not for profit organization, the idea is that thanks to this step, the money that we could obtain from from these kind of agreements will be shared by the researchers and the, inv the inventor of the project and the institute that will be reinvested in other projects. Olivier Menzel, chairman and founder of the Black Swan Foundation. Olivier, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. It was a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.